Welcome, everyone, to episode 135 of Some Like It, Scott, part of the Media Plug Podcast Network. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and on this week's episode, we're not reviewing another movie. We're taking a week off from that. I guess like last week, we didn't review a movie last week either. And we instead will be talking about our most anticipated movies of 2021. I myself have a pretty mixed track record, uh, at least back from our first year. We're talking about most anticipated movies. Um, even last year, I think I had Woman in the Window, maybe a year before, somewhere on the list. So that was funny. Um, but I guess we can, I guess I could add that to the, the list this year because it is coming out yeah, later. It this is year. coming out. <laughs> yeah. But before we get into all of that, with me today, as always, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, how are you feeling about 2021? Yeah, well, first I want to say, you know, we we weren't review we didn't review a movie last week. We didn't review one this week. And next week, I'm not convinced that we're gonna be reviewing one either, but uh we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. You know, uh, Scott, but I won't reveal what we're reviewing next week yet, but I will say I went and looked at Wikipedia for this particular franchise this week. And actually three of them have like pretty good reviews. It's just the most recent one before this. that had Well, that look, it's Kong bows for no man. So, I mean, yeah. it's who could resist, but uh, I'm doing good, Scott. I'm uh, excited to, to do this episode. This is always one of the more fun episodes, I feel like, because we yeah. get to look up a lot of projects and, you know, get excited about stuff. Uh, and and I think there's, ex- well, yeah, well, I was going to say, I think there's extra reason to be excited this year, right? Because it does actually seem like, things that have dates on them are going to come out. Um, and so uh, the anticipation, you know, one way or the other, right? Maybe it's a traditional theater window. Maybe it's, you know, the dual streaming and theatrical yeah. uh, release that we've seen being done here recently with, you know, Disney and uh, an HBO Max Universal, uh, what, they're, what they've been doing. But well, um, Universal's not doing it, but... Uh, yeah. Sorry, uh, W Warner Brothers. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, but I, uh, it, you know, e- either way, like I, I think a lot of these movies, we have more faith at least that they're going to come out. And I mean, l- last year, look, we didn't know that COVID was going to happen when we did this. So we thought all of the movies were going to come out. But, um, you know, as the year went on, obviously dates became a little more the placeholders um, for yeah. these movies. And so, it, it, you know, we got used to just not really getting our hopes up that something was going to come out. Now it feels like our hopes are back up and, there is actually a reason to do the most anticipated episode where I'm sure at one point we were like, are we really even going to be able to do this episode in 2021? Uh, That's so funny yeah. that you say that. Cause I remember like two months ago, you like messaged me what your list was for this. And I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I don't mean like uh, super recently we were thinking that because you know, exactly, I think yeah. things have been, you know, getting a little bit better for a couple of months now, but you know, like yeah. in the, in the thick of it last fall or so, um, would we have yeah. thought that we'd be doing this episode and be fairly optimistic about it? I don't know. Uh, Probably not. We, yeah. This this whole this whole stuff it it comes and goes in waves, right? Of of positivity and negativity, of optimism and pessimism. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe in two weeks from now we're going to be back to being pessimistic. I mean, probably things are back on a uptick again for cases. So I I don't think that I, I at this point I don't think that's going to stop things from from debuting. To be honest, but. I saw someone tweet this morning. Imagine getting COVID this late in the game—a true L. <laughs> Look, it's happening. It's happening at the yeah, no, over sixty thousand new cases a day in the U.S. alone. Yeah. So, 
uh, people well, like it's just like it's so this is like a super obvious thing to say, probably, but it's so fickle in that like in terms of attention, I feel like it's all about attention, right? Like our attention is no longer all in the negative, which is like fair enough, right? Like it, it, it definitely at one point in the pandemic, it was like only negative stories coming out of yeah. out of COVID, which might have been appropriate at the time and still might even be appropriate now to some to some extent. But now it feels like it's pendulum swung in the opposite direction where you hardly ever even hear real. I mean, yeah, there's like there is the, there is the background noise if you're looking for it of you know, if you're reading like the coronavirus briefing from the New York Times every day, like I do or something, you're getting that like drip feed of, you know, things are actually still pretty bad right now, like worse than they were last summer, technically. And it's, uh, you, you don't get that feel from, from everyday life anymore. Yeah. And remember, if you're vaxxed, you can still transmit the virus. So wear your mask. Yes. Yeah. A lot of research being done with that right now. Public health uh, part of the, the program over. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll see. I mean, I think a bunch of my coworkers are getting vaccinated tomorrow because New York opens up to people over 30. Um, and I guess th this podcast, more so than many that we do, I should I should probably uh, go ahead and throw out there that I do work for NBC Universal. Um, and we will be talking about several, if not uh, actually quite a few NBC Universal movies. At least I know I had a few on my list. So I wanted to go ahead and throw that out there beforehand. So take anything I say about a, a universal yeah, film with a grain of salt. Because he's a corporate chill. Yeah, I, exactly. yeah. I watched I watched Schindler's List last night on Peacock. So there you go. <laughs> As Spielberg intended. Yeah, yeah. On on my phone in in uh, portrait mode. <laughs> so, yeah. As the good Lord intended. All right, Scott. With that, why don't we go ahead and move on to the first part of our most anticipated list? Uh, I think. I don't know if we used to do this like many years ago, but we do have honorable mentions. I know last year we had some as well. So why don't you go ahead and throw out one of your honorable mentions? Uh, yeah, so I'll throw out one, uh, and that's this movie, The Lost Daughter. I believe we've uh, we've talked about some casting news for this in the past when it has come up because the cast is, you know, one of the the big draws of this movie, at least for me. This is going to be the directorial debut of Maggie Gyllenhaal, yeah. um, and it. It, you know, it currently stars um, Academy Award winner Olivia Coleman. Uh, it stars uh, the husband of Maggie Gyllenhaal, um, Peter Sarsgaard, who's always a great actor, I think. And then, you know, the three names which probably get me the most excited in this movie. Uh, Dakota Johnson, rising star. Uh, Jesse Buckley, rising star. And Paul Mescal, rising star. We don't know what kind of role Paul Mescal is going to have. It may be more of a, you know... Uh, small supporting part, um, but you know the other four are expected to be you know the leading the bill here. Um, and you know there's not a lot about the plot of this movie, but um, you know it sounds like a sort of dark, uh, you know maybe suspenseful drama um, about uh, a woman's vacation turning a little dark. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, th this is the one when I was looking at your list that I was the most skeptical that it will come out this year. This is the one that I think that I saw and you'll say it did not have even like a placeholder 2021 release date. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious this one will come out. Hopefully it does um, because it's very exciting. And I'm, we, de we definitely talked about this on the podcast when Paul Mescal got that casting just because we're yeah. both huge fans from his work on Normal People last year. And yeah, to see him even, you know, get this role in this I guess like this hyped of a movie, which is a weird thing to say, but like this, there's a lot of hype around this movie just because of Maggie Gyllenhaal directing the all-star cast that she's put together, you know, whether or not the film's good, who knows, right? Like we haven't always seen the actor turned director conversion go perfectly. I mean, we saw it last year with Regina King 
going pretty well. And we've seen other instances where it's gone pretty well also. But and then there's things like land with Robin Wright that seemed like landed pretty mediocre uh, reviews coming out of Sundance's past year. But uh, yeah, and, and even passing with Rebecca Hall, I think that got fairly you know lukewarm at best reviews uh, coming out of Sundance. And I know, Scott, you were a little bit more of a fan of it than others, but I'm hopeful that this one comes out this year and is good. It, I think this type of um, plot, it, 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 just from the vague details that we have, like very vague, a lot, it seems like a lot of the details are under wrap, seems interesting, pretty engaging for me. And, you know, Olivia Coleman, I'm watching her on the, in the crown. I've gotten to her seasons on the crown now. And I mean, we've seen her play the queen before, a very different kind of queen in the favorite, but I mean, she can be like basically anything. Um, she's awesome. So I don't think you can go wrong with this movie, but I've said that before and been wrong. So there you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, my first honorable mention, I'm kind of like just lumping a bunch of movies together and calling them an honorable mention just to get them out of the way. We talked about them last year on this podcast. They're the holdovers that did not get releases last year for a variety of reasons. You know, a movie like After Yang, which I'm throwing into my list here. I'm not sure that even would have come out last year anyway. Um, I think that's one of those like really, you know, never really had a firm release date. Maybe would have been filled in the latter half of the year. Um, but with distribution being through, I think I think it even might even be the Sundance Institute that's distributing it because they have such a such a strong relationship with Koganada. And um, I don't know, but I'm throwing after Yang nine days, which we know is getting released uh, this year. It has a release date. Well, we'll see if it holds, I guess. But we think it's getting released this year. And Last Night in Soho, which is a universal movie. Um, all very exciting movies, all movies we talked about on the podcast, uh, this podcast last year, so we don't need to dive too deep into them, but all movies I'm really uh, looking forward to, frankly, and they can't get here fast enough. Uh, again, I won't dive too deep into detail, but Koganada for After Yang, you know, you bringing me onto Columbus last year was, you know, one of the one of the great movies I think I watched last year in terms of, you know, all, all new watches that I've had. That was up there on the list for me, for sure. Um, and then nine days a movie that i'm i feel like i've always been beating the drum for more than anyone else that's come on our podcast uh but winston duke and, and zashi beats uh leading this sort of purgatory-esque drama uh a bit of a, a few talk. people have seen it already and well, it's gotten some pretty good reviews yeah, yeah so it, it played at sundance in mm -hmm. la last year so i mean plenty of people saw it there i presume yeah um and so i'm pretty excited about it i'h uh, looking forward to it. and then last night in soho which is Edgar Wright's next movie with Anya Taylor-Joy and ooh, Thomas and McKenzie. Thomas and McKenzie. That's who it is. Yeah. Knew it was one of the other young actresses. So yeah, super. that's a bit of a thriller. I think that's that it's being billed as sort of a psychological thriller type film. More, I think more of more on the horror side almost, but possibly even, even more on the horror side. Well, what, well, that's interesting coming from Edgar Wright, who, mm -hmm. I mean, he, he cannot be captured by a single genre, probably fair to say uh, for Edgar Wright, the way that he kind of bounces around the the different feels and vibes of his movies but you know annie taylor joy maybe maybe this is an official stand podcast now i don't know but she she's on fire um great that she had her breakout last year with the queen's gambit but we've been fans of her since back when thoroughbreds came out back in 2018 yeah and, and i will say anya has had her breakout now but i think this year for thomas and mckenzie could be massive not just with this movie but with a couple others that are going to come up a little later for me at least yeah. um and yeah, no, I'm excited for all of these movies, especially the latter two, but especially after Yang and um, Last Night in Soho. Last Night in Soho was like my number two or three of last year when we did okay. our lists. Um, and then after Yang, I mean, yeah, you know, like you you mentioned, I'm glad you gave me the credit there for uh, for turning you on to Columbus, but of it's course. become one of my favorite films 
of all time. Um, and, you know, with H Haley Lou Richardson again, um, reuniting with him in this movie, maybe or maybe not going to have the lead role. It looks like Jodie Turner-Smith may also, um, you know, be sort of also co-leading the bill or leading the bill herself here. Um, but, you know, the that performance by Haley Lou Richardson in Columbus is just absolutely brilliant. So if he can bring something like that out of her again, I mean, uh, yeah, that's something that I'm definitely going to be looking forward to. Yeah, and Jodie Turner-Smith is an actress who, I think you still haven't seen Queen and Slim, but gave an absolutely knockout performance, I think, and, you know, only bested by the fact that she was next to Daniel Kaluuya on the screen in that movie, which it's hard to it's hard to top him when he's in a movie. But she did a really good job in that back in 2019, directed by Melina Matsukas. And, you know, I think that if Koganada is as good a director as it seems like he is, I think he's going to get just as good a performance out of out of her as well, because she's got the talent. All right, Scott, what's your what's another honorable mention you got to throw out here? Um, yeah, so speaking of loaded cast, Scott, uh, Guillermo del Toro's next movie, Nightmare Alley, certainly has a loaded cast uh, featuring Kate Blanchett, Bradley Cooper, Willem Dafoe, Tony Collette, David Strathern, Rooney Mara, Ron Perlman, Mary Steenburgen, Clifton Collins Jr., Richard Jenkins, Tim Blake Nelson. Uh, the list goes on. Um, and, you know, del Toro is not someone that I have a ton of experience with, to be honest. Um, I'm trying to think if I've even seen one of his movies before. I may not have, because um, I still you haven't, haven't seen watched any of his movies. I don't think so. Um, okay, have I'm you? a little surprised. Yeah, I mean, I've seen Pacific Rim, and yeah, no, I mean that Pacific Rim is not really my type of thing. Um, Pan's Labyrinth. I, I, I've seen, I've seen some of some of the stuff. Yeah, Pan's Labyrinth is definitely the one that I need to see. And you know, of course, we've never caught up with Shape of Water, despite it winning Best Picture a few years ago. Um, but look, I know he's a acclaimed director. I will say the plot of this movie does seem a little more up my alley than some of his other movies, up my alley, no pun intended, I guess, um, than some of his other movies. Um, seems like more of a suspense thriller than, uh, you know, involving like high fantasy or sci-fi elements um, like some of his other films have. Um, but we will see. I mean, look, he certainly got a great cast. Um, and yeah, it, I will try to get around some of his movies prior to then. Um, Crimson Peak is another one that I think I would like, maybe. But, um, you know, I, I think that um, regardless, this movie is going to be an event probably when it, it comes out. It's later for a December release. Um, and I imagine it will be aiming for awards attention again. So, yeah, not quite in my top five, but, um, you know, I'm looking forward to this one. I didn't realize Guillermo del Toro wrote the screenplay for the Hobbit trilogy. <laughs> or at least co-wrote it. That's a fun one. Um, yeah, look, I, it's it's a movie that I have mixed feelings about because, again, like I've seen some Guillermo del Toro. I'm a fan of Pan's Labyrinth. Um, I haven't seen some like Blade 2 or Hellboy or some of the movies that may, might be, quote unquote, like more up my alley. Uh, you know, no, no pun intended there. But um, this is an interesting one because it's got the cast, right, to get me interested. I mean, Bradley Cooper although I haven't always been the biggest fan of coming off of something like A Star is Born, I'm very interested to see what he's going to do next, especially if it's something different, right? Like, this feels super different for him, to me at least. Um, and then Kate Blanchett and the whole cast that you went through and the premise sounds really interesting to me. It's not like, at first I thought it was going to be more of a supernatural horror type film, just Nightmare Alley sounds like could be that, but it, uh, it it's not. That's not what it is. It is more of that suspense, psychological thriller type, type movie. And as cautious as I am around the horror genre, I'm usually pretty all in on the thriller, uh, the thriller side of things. And so 
I'm I, this is also one that I'm excited about. I'm excited to see if this is something that can really hook me into wanting to go watch Shape of Water finally. It's a classic square rectangle situation, right? All horror movies are thrillers, but not all thrillers are horror movies. Yeah, Slen Slenderman, noted thriller. <laughs> I mean, you know, again, uh, all horror movies are attempting to be thrillers in addition to <laughs> yeah, horror yeah, movies. Yeah, I know. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just messing with you. But I, I guess that counts, right? I, I guess you could probably argue over the, the finer details, but um, that's probably a fair, a fair way to put it. All right. Uh, my hey, second Rich. honorable... My second honorable mention is, you know, I have to throw my my cursory superhero movie uh, in into the mix here. And I had quite a few to choose from this year, thanks to the backup of last year. We're getting four MCU movies this year, uh, as well as the Suicide Squad um, from on the DC side of things. And uh, as enticing as it might have been to pick uh, the Suicide Squad with James Gunn, I'm a huge fan of the original Guardians of the Galaxy film for most anticipated uh, I did not select that one. Instead, I went with the third in the Spider-Man uh, MCU sub-franchise, and that is Spider-Man No Way Home. I thought about jokingly just putting in one of the fake names in here, um, but I decided to go with the actual name uh, of the film. And I think that what this one really, what tipped the scale with this one for me over, say, you know, Black Widow or Shang-Chi or The Eternals even, is just the fact that it really feels like this Spider-Man movie could like could very well be the end of Tom Holland in the MCU. Um, he hasn't he hasn't signed a new contract with Marvel because technically that or Sony and and Tom Holland have not signed a new contract to make future Spider-Man movies in the MCU because there is that like almost constant standoff it feels like between Sony and Disney about this matter. Um, so I think there there is some real edge to the film about what direction it's going to take there from all of the news that we've been hearing out of this movie, it seems like it is going to be leaning pretty hard into the multiverse. We don't know if it's true or not. It probably is the case that some, if not a lot of major previous Spider-Man Marvel uh, characters are coming back, including, you know, maybe Tobey Maguire, maybe Andrew Garfield. seems like Jamie Foxx is definitely coming back as Electro because he, uh, I think he shared that like image on Instagram or something like that talking about how he was like in the movie, which he definitely was not supposed to have done. I'm pretty sure uh, maybe getting, uh, is it also the case that we may be getting like, who's the green goblin? Is it Dane DeHaan's green goblin? Yeah. He, from um, Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah. From Amazing Spider-Man one. I'm sure. And doc and Dr. Octopus, right? Alfred Molina from uh, Spider-Man two. Am I making uh, that up? Is Alfred Molina coming back? I'm not sure about that. I don't know. Yeah. Well, uh, the point is, uh, rather than just me guessing what, what we actually heard, I feel like we've heard a, a lot of rumors about what this movie is actually going to be like, But which is exciting. That's really exciting. I'm, I, I haven't seen the Amazing Spider-Man movies, but I'm excited that they're going this direction and doing something new, uh, testing new waters or continuing to test new waters with the MCU because they have been teasing a lot of multiverse-related stuff you know, ever since, I mean, really ever since Endgame. Um, and I guess Ant-Man and the Wasp, technically. But... Um, yeah, with with all of that going on, it's exciting uh, that that we're we're seeing that come to fruition, and it feels like Spider-Man No Way Home is going to be the first movie in the MCU. Uh, maybe we'll see something in the TV shows, but in the MCU, at least the the movies that we're really going to get a full taste of what might be on offer coming up with something like Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness next year, and as well as in any other place we might be, you know, seeing the multiverse pop in um, throughout the franchise. And so that's really exciting, but also to see whatever conclusion, if it is the end, 
the of Tom Holland's version of Spider-Man and uh, Zendaya's or Zendaya, sorry's version of MJ. Um, I think that their chemistry is interesting um, and charming, if not, uh, you know, maybe if it's if it's high school chemistry pretty well, I, th I think at the, in the grand scheme of things, it's it, I find it to be really endearing and I'm excited to see where it goes. Uh, certainly cliffhanger type ending at the end of Far From Home when his identity is revealed um, to the entirety of New York. And that's a that's a version of Spider-Man we haven't seen before, at least in a major Marvel movie uh, with a wide release. We haven't seen sort of the identity crisis element uh, of it all. And so to actually be treading new ground, that's not like Spider-Man fights, you know, even if it isn't a villain that he's fought before in his previous Spider-Man movie, the fact that he's he's doing his traditional, you know, song and dance of a type of Mar uh, of a type of Spider-Man fighting the bad guy, doing a normal thing, adding this new element into it, I think is super interesting. And that's why it tips the scale for me. Yeah, I'm with you on this, Scott. I think this is probably my most anticipated superhero project of the year as well. It, you know, it'd be easy to point to Shang-Chi and, you know, with Chloe Zhao um, having just made my favorite oh, movie of 2020. The, the Eternals. Uh, Destin Daniel Cretton yeah, is doing Shang-Chi. Destin Daniel Cretton is doing Shang-Chi. My bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it'd be easy to point to the Eternals because of yeah. Chloe Zhao. But, um, you know, Spider-Man is my favorite superhero. I still have great great affection for those Raimi Spider-Man movies, the first two, of course, um, you know, being some of my favorite superhero movies of all time still. And so, you know, if we can get a lot of callbacks to those and bring Tobey Maguire back in particular would be something that would be very exciting to me. But either way, you know, I've really enjoyed both MCU Spider-Man movies as well. I liked Far From Home even more than Homecoming. And yeah, I agree with you that that ending, I think has set us up for an interesting time in uh, you know, this this third Spider-Man entry. So I'm um, looking forward to it. Yeah, also D DC fans will have to forgive me. I did leave out Venom 2 as, as a potential superhero project for this Let year. Let there be carnage. Let there be carnage. Tom Hardy and Woody Harrelson, uh, or whatever we're going to call Woody Harrelson in that movie because he looked unrecognizable, whatever voice he was doing in that post-credit scene. I uh, hope they submit it for Oscars again. Um, oh, they a thousand percent will. And we'll get those... <laughs> Uh, wasn't that a joke? Wasn't that a joke? It was. It was a joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, was so, that was so funny, though. It was. <laughs> oh, man. All right, Scott, what's your last honorable mention? Uh, my last one is a movie called The Sky is Everywhere. Uh, this is a YA like a novel. Terrence Malick movie. <laughs> it's quite the opposite. It's a YA novel adaptation. It does kind of sound like a Terrence Malick movie. But, um, yeah. but no, yeah, this is a YA um novel adaptation like i said based on a novel by someone named jandy nelson um and it is kind of a you know coming of age slash musical hybrid um which are you know some of how you would describe some of my favorite movies um yeah so big, big buzzwords for me um basically apparently it's a lot about sort of loss and grief the main character is a girl who loses her older sister and then yeah, kind of finds solace through music, I think. The book was pretty well reviewed. Um, but, uh, you know, the one thing which stands, another, the one other thing which stands out to me about this movie is th that this is being directed by Josephine Decker, um, who uh, just last year made one of, you know, my favorite movies of last year, Shirley. Um, yeah, re renowned YA movie, Shirley. Yeah, well, that's kind of the thing, right? And, you know, yeah. Madeline's Madeline, which is even more out there, right? So, supposedly, I haven't seen that one. But um, very interesting that this is what she has chosen for her next project. And it gives me a lot of hope that this will be more than just, you know, your average John Green, um, you know, adaptation directed by anonymous director here. Um, that, you know, maybe she's actually going to bring some real style and, um, darkness in particular right because there's a lot of darkness in 
uh, shortly. And at least from the the plot description of this movie, it seems like there's there's room to explore some dark themes in here. So I hope that that's the direction that the movie goes. Because I mean, look, we've seen freaking Pixar movies, be, you know, exploring some pretty dark concepts. So there's no reason why these movies aimed at teenagers, you know, based on YA novels, why they can't do the same. Um, and maybe Josephine Decker is the person to bring that out. Not a hugely stacked cast. It seems that the main roles are all going to be played by uh, primarily unknown actors, which, you know, is, is something that I'm Jones. a fan of. Well, I, you know, I was going to get there, but uh, okay, Cherry sorry. Jones and Jason Siegel um, seem like they're going to play sort of the adult figures in this movie. Cherry Jones is going to be a grandmother of some sort, it seems. Jason Siegel may be a dad character. Um, but yeah, the, as far as the main teenager roles, it seems like they're all going to be, um, you know, unknowns, which is, you know, potentially exciting. Maybe, uh, you know, my our next favorite actress is to be found in this movie. Maybe it's, I think, Grace Kaufman is the is going to be the lead in this. But <laughs> yeah, the sky is everywhere. There you go. That's my final honorable mention. Yeah, and you buried the lead a little bit because this is one of those A24 Apple TV Plus projects uh, through distribution. <laughs> right, so. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, so this is, tech. it's not technically an A24 movie. I mean, not in the sense that it was produced by A24. It was produced by some random uh, production I've never heard of. But uh, A24 and Apple, I think probably Apple acquired it. And then through their deal, their co-distribution deal with A24, A24 will be distributed in theaters uh, as this goes to Apple TV Plus shortly after. So um, we'll see. Look, I mean, I don't know how much uh, say A24 has in some of these co-distribution deals. I'd imagine they want to retain some level Uh of ownership or, or some say just because they I feel like they do pride themselves pretty hard on uh, putting the A24 banner in front of the movies they put it in front of. But yeah, it's it's promising. Josephine Decker is certainly a, a catchy name for us. Um, no, no doubt based on Shirley this past year. We were both big fans of that. And but yeah, this is an interesting project for her to follow that up with. So we'll see. All right. For me, my last honorable mention is going to be well, at first, this is going to be the only musical uh, that I was going to bring up. And then I did end up throwing another one into my actual top five. But this is the directorial debut of uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda Scott. So I don't know if that perks your ears up at all uh, sure. when I say that. He did not write the screenplay for this. I don't know if he wrote... I don't think he wrote... I don't think he wrote the music for it either. Um, so I do want to get that out there. I don't think this is music written by him. Um, I don't think he wrote the book for it. But it is written, uh, sorry, but it is being directed by him. It's starring Andrew Garfield, uh, Vanessa Hudgens, and Alexandra Ship in the lead roles. Sorry, I just noticed Jonathan Larson wrote the book for this. That's the guy who created Rent, but he passed away like the night that Rent premiered. I, I didn't know about that, that part of it. I didn't realize that he had written another musical, but that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. So, the, yeah, so it, it is based on the, the musical. So it's based on the musical of the same name from. I don't know when it was from, but I mean, I guess it was from before Rent. Um, yeah, so it premiered in it premiered in 1990 off Broadway, then finally did yeah. debut on Broadway in 2001. Or no, it was also off Broadway. Anyway, uh, I don't know if it actually ever got a Broadway kick, but that aside, yes, Jonathan Larson um, is the one who wrote the original play, wrote the book for it. It's being directed by Lin Manuel Miranda from a screenplay by Stephen Levinson. Um, so that's the sort of the creative team behind it. And then, like I said, the cast, Andrew Garfield is, is playing Jonathan Larson. So this must be some sort of, um, uh, autobiographical, um, take of some sort. I'm not sure exactly. I'm not super familiar with the background on this. I just saw Lin-Manuel Miranda's and Andrew Garfield's names attached to this, which is really re the reason why 
I latched onto it. But the premise of it is that an aspiring theater composer, Jonathan Larson, endures a midlife crisis as he approaches 30, uh, but is, and does not feel close to his dream. Gives you kind of the vibes that you might have gotten from Soul uh, last year as well, honestly, in terms of creative um, vision and themes being explored around being un, you know dissatisfied with you know where you are um, in in your life from a musical perspective. Although this is musical theater, um, but yeah, very interesting stuff. Uh, Vanessa Hudgens, I've been pretty mixed on. Alexander Ship, I was always a big fan of, and. Uh, the more recent X-Men movies. She played Storm in the more recent X-Men movies. Didn't get to do very much with that role, but I liked what I saw from there. So I'm excited to see her in a different type of uh, role overall, but that's Tick, Tick, Boom. Bradley Whitford as well, playing Stephen Sondheim. So there you go, another real person appearing in this. Yeah, you know, I heard about this, but I didn't really look that much into it. But now that I, I have, yeah, this is definitely uh, up there for me as well. Um you know, with sort of the combined names that we've mentioned here. I think Jonathan Larson's name being the one which like sure. gets me the most, because Rent is one of my favorite musicals. And, you know, I had no idea, honestly, that he had done something before Rent. Um, and so, yeah, Andrew Garfield is somebody that I'm much more of a uh, fan of after, you know, Under the Silver Lake a couple of years ago. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to this one. And I guess I will say to wrap it up, this is a Netflix film. So, Take it to the bank. It's coming out this year. Yep. And Steve right, Levinson also is writing another musical, which will be appearing on your list a little bit later. So uh, take that Absolutely. to the bank as well. I will be. I will be taking that to the bank in just a couple of picks. But why don't you get us started into the top five here? What's your number five? Uh, all right. My number five is uh, the first film in 11 years from Academy Award winning uh, director Jane Campion, uh, and that is uh, the film called The Power of the Dog. Um, yeah, like I said, uh, you know, this isn't a movie. Uh, Jane Campion is not someone who I've ever seen any of her movies, but she's very well regarded, very well respected amongst, you know, cinephiles, film fans. The Piano being the movie which she won an Academy Award for um, back in the early 90s, but, you know, has done some stuff like Holy Smoke and Bright Star, which was her last movie, which was the one about John Keats and uh, his uh, romance. Um, and uh, this is her first movie. And she was she did, I think, that that TV series Top of the Lake with um, with Elizabeth Moss a few years ago. That was pretty well received. Um, yeah, the, she was well, the, the, the sequel, that, the but. sequel to that. But yeah, it was like, OK, the second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But so that's what she's kind of been working on in the interim. But um yeah, a lot of people are excited for this one because of Jane Campion's name. It also has an interesting sounding story. It seems like it's going to be kind of a Western drama feel to it. Um, it's set in Montana on a large ranch. Um, and it's, you know, sort of about a clash between two brothers um, that, you know, may, may or may not uh, deal with a woman that one of them marries. Um, starring in this movie, we have uh, Benedict Cumberbatch and Jesse Plemons, who are going to be playing the two brothers. Um, and I guess as the woman at the heart of the story, we have Mrs. Jesse Plemons, Kirsten Dunst. Um, and uh, further down the bill, um, second time she's going to come up, Thomas and McKenzie. Uh, it also uh, is going to have what I would guess would be a pretty substantial role in this movie. Um, so, yeah, this looks like um, maybe some Oscar potential here for this one. Um, Jane Campion, again, I... I, I am intrigued by her name, uh, not because I've seen some of her work, though, again, one I would like to catch up with this year, maybe in preparation for this movie coming out. Um, but, you know, just a, a lot of buzz and, and very good names attached to it. And, you know, I, I do like uh, a good Western 
Um, so if that's the route that this goes and kind of seems like it will have that feel to it at least, um, then yeah, this could be something really special. So that's my number five. And another Netflix movie. So take it to the bank coming out this year. Because yep. they got to release a movie every single week to hold to their promise. And maybe yeah, this look, will be will be one of the actually good ones. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. But I mean, also, I think that pretty much guarantees that it won't win any major awards at the Oscars. So there you go. I'm kidding. <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they've won plenty of major awards. They just haven't won Best Picture. Sure. Either. Yeah, sure. I mean, they've got yeah. Best Director and Best Supporting Actress in the bag. I don't think they're going to get it this year, but we'll see. Maybe that would be quite the surprise if they won it this year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> at this point. Uh, all right. So. Uh, my my number five here, Scott, you'll have to forgive me. I am going to invoke the name of Adam McKay on this episode of the podcast. And that is Don't Look Up. It's an upcoming American political satire disaster comedy film written, co-produced and directed by Adam McKay uh, of, I won't say the most recent movie that he's done, but <laughs> of, uh, you know, of, of movies past that, that are Academy Award winning films overall, uh, maybe more OK for Scott at the big short. And I think this does feel something that is more in line with that. It is taking also a more fictional turn, right? Like this is um, not based on real events, which uh, of course um, the big short and his most recent film are based on, you know, relatively real events. So I think that will, uh, when we talked about that, we talked about this on the podcast many times before, but I think one of the things that we had noted, or at least I know I had, um, is that I think this could be safer territory uh, for him and I'm willing to give him a little leeway here because he is creating a fictional story. Ultimately. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, both, both the previous users were also fictional, but uh, <laughs> grounded in grounded in real events. Nevertheless, I don't think, I don't think that anyone spoke in Shakespeare um, like was indicated in his most recent film. But anyway, Jennifer, like the real reason why I'm excited about this movie is not because it's Adam McKay, uh, but because it's Jennifer Lawrence's return uh, to the big screen after her stepping away for a little bit. Uh, after X-Men Dark Phoenix, and that was the last film that she did. Uh, she was supposed to have a couple movies that came out last year, but I think they all got pushed um, because of the pandemic and TBD when those will come out. So I think this will, well, it may not be her first movie back, honestly. There may be other movies that come out before that she has starred in, but she is the lead role as an astronomer who is about to go on this sort of giant media tour to warn humankind of an approaching comet or asteroid that will destroy the planet. And alongside her as another fellow astronomer and scientist is Leonardo DiCaprio. So uh, again, another reason that I was really kind of laser focusing on this project. Uh, Meryl Streep also fills out the cast along with Kate Blanchett, uh, Jonah Hill, Timothy Chalamet, Ariana Grande, Himesh Patel, Matthew Perry, Tyler Perry, Ron Perlman, Chris Evans, Mark Rylance. There's, the cast list is very deep uh, on this one, which I guess shouldn't be surprising because I will say one thing for Adam McKay, he has been able to get pretty deep casts and a lot of his films, and, and this one certainly included. It is a Netflix movie. It's almost certainly going to come out this year. But yeah, I think the cast alone and the fact that McKay is is sort of straying back into the realm of fiction more than trying to, um, you know, dramatize real real world events, I think gives me a little bit more hope than I might otherwise feel coming off of his most recent film. But excited to see Leo back uh, on the big screen and, and certainly Jennifer Lawrence as well. Yeah, I mean, look, Scott, you know, this is not going to be anywhere near my most anticipated list. But, uh, yeah. you know, I don't disagree with the things you're saying, right? Jennifer Lawrence and Leo, sure, great. Um, and, yeah, Adam McKay taking on a fictional story is something that um, is where I would prefer that he stay, just because I think that, um, you know, the style that he has brought to these, um, you know, real life 
films that he's made for his last couple. Look, yeah, The Big Short is good, but um, I've explained before, you know, why I think the style, the, the Big Short is, is one of the only contexts in which that sort of particular style will work. And that maybe the fallout from that movie garnering so much uh, attention and awards recognition has been uh, a bad thing. And, and maybe makes me wish that um, that movie hadn't been created in the first place or hadn't been as well received just because I think it's going to inspire a lot of worse movies, but, um, and it has yeah, already, we'll right? Like we, even, even from great directors like Steven Soderbergh tried to make, essentially make a big short ripoff with, um, I forget the name of his like fiscal policy film that, that he did on Netflix. Was it the laundromat? Was that it? That's not, yeah. The laundromat, yeah. um, where Meryl Streep like walks into a bank with a freaking shotgun. Um, not a good film <laughs> not a good movie yeah well I, I mean the the one thing though that does you know concern me a little bit is that there are going to be political elements to the comedy and the satire and i think um yeah. that's that's, the, that's fair the chance for it to be you know as didactic and condescending as it's as his last film was are certainly still there when you consider that politics is going to be part of this so we'll see again not going to be anywhere near my uh list but I, I mean there are more reason there are yeah there are more reasons to be excited about this than there were for you know coming out of his last movie that you would have expected i guess yeah i think that's a really valid point and i and that is one of the reasons why i'm cautious is that he is still trying to make uh make a political satire out of it for sure and i don't think political satires have done a very good job for the most part the last few years as they you know irresistible last year was fine um, definitely probably wasn't worth the investment overall for John Stewart, but, um, it was fine. And vice certainly was not good. So moving on from that, Scott, what's your number four? Yeah. My number four is a movie called last letter from your lover. Um, and this is a period piece. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be sort of a romantic drama period piece, um, set in the 1960s. Is it, is it another one of those, uh, portrait of a lady on fire romantic dramas? It is not. It is not of the uh, the sapphic variety, but um, it is uh, you know a, a period romance. Um, I, I believe, like I said, between uh, man and woman this time. But uh, wow, so heteronormative. There, of that. There's Get going to be a uh, sort of past present timeline thing going on. It seems in this. Uh, it's about a journalist who discovers uh, you know a bunch of letters that detail an affair that happened back in the '60s. Uh, I believe that the journalist is played by Felicity Jones. The woman in the love story is uh, Shailene Woodley, two actresses who I think are pretty underrated, if we're being honest. Uh, I think don't get talked about enough as being sort of um, near the the top of, uh, you know, tier of actresses right now. But I think have, you know, laid their claim to be considered there. Um, and our, our, you know, resident hunks in this movie, I guess, are going to be Callum Turner, um of various period pieces and joe alwyn of various period pieces um you know right down the middle casting there with those two guys um but you know that all of that you know had, I, I think gives reason for a promise um you know that this could be sort of uh you know like a richard curtis type uh, about time something like that so like brooklyn maybe which came out a few years ago right these sort of period romances with i don't know if this one is going to be set in england or not but you know it has 
several British people attached to it here. So you would you would think it is it is set, it's set it's set in London. It's a UK produced film. I think it's not a, it's not a Hollywood film. Uh, well, I guess maybe Shailene Woodley is going to try a British accent. But you know, all that gets me excited. What also gets me excited is uh, that Augustine Frizzell is going to be directing this movie. Not perhaps the person who I would have not the direction I would have expected her to go after her directorial debut, uh, a film which perhaps I am the biggest fan of. Uh, of yeah, anyone out there, I, I don't. I don't think anyone is a bigger fan of this film than me. If we're being quite honest, but uh, Never Going Back was the name of that movie back in 2018. Uh, this really, really fun stoner comedy from A24 with Maya Mitchell and Camilla Marone. Highly, highly recommend checking it out. One of my just favorite throw it on for 90 minutes watches of the last several years. Um, but she's you know trying something new here, which is intriguing. And um, you don't know I this mean, could end up being a stoner comedy, man. It could, it could, but uh, I think this has a lot of interesting pieces to it. It's also based on a book, um, and like I said, there's some, there's definitely some talent um, in that cast. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, well, look, we're 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 staying on brand here because I didn't mention it for the last movie, but uh, this movie as well as Don't Look Up are Netflix distributed movies. So we have like four, I think four in a row now on Netflix films. So we are really on a roll. Let's see if I can break it with my number four. However, you mentioned uh, another Stephen Levinson or Stephen Levinson written movie uh, that would be featuring on my list. And you were right. It is my number four. It is the film adaptation of the Broadway musical Dear Evan Hansen. So the original Broadway musical, I believe, was written by Pasek and Paul, as well as Stephen Levinson. I think he did help write it there as well. And Levinson uh, will be translating that onto the screen. This is a universal film uh, as well. So this will be coming out later this year uh, in theaters, uh, I would I would presume. Uh, the music will also be done by Pasek and Paul, who, like I mentioned, had done the music for, you know, I think actually like Tony winning. Did, did it? Did its book win a Tony Award? I think it might have. Um, I'd have to double check. Yeah, uh, Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure it won. Like, yeah, did it not win Best Musical? I think maybe it did. Yeah, I, I know it won a bunch of. I didn't know if, it, if it's music specifically had won awards, but it, I mean, I I haven't seen uh, the musical or the 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 Broadway musical, but I Nor certainly have listened listened to the soundtrack um, so, like many times. Um, it has some it has some pretty big bangers on it. Ben Platt um, was Evan Hansen in the Broadway play version in the in the in the theater. He will also be reprising that role again for the film. He'll be playing Evan Hansen uh, like he did on Broadway. Uh, joining him will be Julianne Moore, who will be playing his mom, Caitlin Deaver, uh, which is playing one of his classmates at school, and Amy Adams, who is playing Caitlin Deaver's mom. So all four of these names, or at least Caitlin Deaver, Amy Adams, and Ben Platt are are really high up on my list. Um, Caitlin Deaver, I think, for more obvious reasons, as well as Amy Adams for longtime listeners of the podcast. Ben Platt, just because even though I was not a huge fan of The Politician, um, I was a big fan of the soundtrack uh, for Dear Evan Hansen back in 2017 and I did like his performance in that in that Ryan Murphy TV show including uh, some of his musical performances uh, in that show uh, he had some really great um, I don't think there were any of them were original songs but he had some really great covers of some songs in there that really turned my turned my ear towards him so really looking forward uh, to this adaptation it's number four uh, for those who are unfamiliar with the musical it is about a high school student Evan Hansen uh, who has social anxiety disorder um, and takes advantage of the suicide of a classmate for his own emotional gain after accidentally letting a letter he wrote to himself be taken by the classmate whose family mistakes it for it having been written to Evan by their son. So there's there's this big sort of like 
high school drama element of it and sort of at the middle of it is this person who is suffering from an anxiety disorder but maybe does some things that uh, he regrets or shouldn't have done and uh, I wouldn't say it's hijinks but drama ensues yeah I don't know how Ben Platt is going to pass as a high schooler in this considering he didn't he, pass two years he ago really could not in the politician either yeah, yeah. Um, and now he's even older but um, yeah, no, Scott, I'm I'm excited for this. You know, the musical is very acclaimed. Uh, you know, I like a good musical. This has good names attached to it. Um, I do think that, like, In the Heights is still probably my number one musical that I'm looking forward to this year. Um, just because that trailer just looks great. Um, and, you know, it's Lin-Manuel Miranda, obviously, it, um, you know, what he did before Hamilton. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I totally respect having this on the list. Um, I think this could be really good. Yeah, probably I mean, look, be going name, for Oscars as well. The names alone got got. I mean, kind of grabbed my eye. I think from a creative perspective, I I don't disagree with In the Heights. That's something that I'm very very, <laughs> to say the least, excited about coming out later this year. Um, but the acting talent alone in this one really was eye catching for me. Yeah, I agree. Let's see your number three. Okay, my number three. Scott dares to ask the question: What if people were old? Uh, it is the movie Old, directed by M. Night Shyamalan. Um, we just saw a spot uh, for this movie in, on the Super Bowl. Um, well, actually, we missed it in the Super Bowl, I think. Yeah, uh, but it it, uh, it didn't reveal too much, um, except, you know, like I said there, the general conceit of the film is that people start rapidly aging, um, and, you know, their lives maybe even all happen in the course of one day. Um and, you know, Scott, I consider myself a Shyamalan defender for sure. I Now, I've not seen a lot of the mid-period films, which, you know, people say are uh, pretty bad. Which and I don't, defending. <laughs> I don't doubt that they, they are. But, well, I, I was going to say, like, stuff like The Village, um, The Visit, Glass, movies that people didn't necessarily go for. I mean, I think The Village in particular is one of his best movies, if not, you know, I, it's right up there with Unbreakable for me. Um but I think he's just, I just think I, he's such an interesting director. Um, even when he misses, um, I think he's always trying something interesting. He's one of the few directors, right, who can make blockbuster, big budget movies that are also original, based on original ideas, like, you know, actually have a lot of creativity to them. Like he created this whole, you know, superhero universe with uh, Unbreakable, Split, and Glass. So, I mean, I, I, that I, I look forward to his movies now because I think he's on a hot streak again, right? I think with The Visit, with Split, with Glass, and, you know, hopefully with Old, he's going to be back to his best. Um, and this movie, again, we're going to keep saying that the names attached are good. That's why these movies find their way into our list, because they have people that we like in them. And here, the people that we like um specifically thomas and mckenzie again right uh seems to it seems that she's gonna have a pretty major role in this from what we see in the spot gail garcia garcia bernal um as well vicky crepes of phantom thread fame um and eliza scanlon uh of baby teeth little women uh sharp objects fame um and alex wolf and alex wolf of hereditary uh fame so yeah uh, i you know i think this uh he's attracting some some big names again i mean obviously he had big names in the last movie but there are people he worked with before but i think uh people are starting to get back on Shyamalan's team you know glass wasn't the most well-received movie critically um but it's one of those movies where i think the audience score and the critic score are a little out of um touch with each other because i think 
that movie was for the fans, right? That that glass was for the fans. I stand by that. Uh, it wasn't necessarily a movie yeah. uh, for the critics, but I found it a fairly satisfying way to to wrap up again one of the more original trilogies in uh, quite some time. So looking forward to old. Yeah, he out on himself. I think at the very end of, of Glass, but I think otherwise the yeah. film. I mean, I really enjoyed the film. Other other than that, if you if you really could just you know lop off the last five to ten minutes of that movie, I think it would be. A very yeah, different product. Um, yeah, but no, I'm on board. This is a universal film as, as well. So just to throw just to throw that out there, but the cast is exciting. Shyamalan is is one of the few directors out there who, on sheer name alone, as a director, right? He's in the you know the handful of directors who have that sort of star power as creators themselves uh, to bring people to seats, even if he hasn't always been successful. Um, and I think that it's that you know absolutely trying to take advantage of that um, with this type of film. And, and this is a film that is is very much driven by Shyamalan's name and not Vicky Crepes or Garcia Bernal or Wolf or McKenzie or Scanlon, right? Like these are not people who are yeah. going to drive butts to seats for the most part. I will say though, you know, I went on about him being very original. This is actually one of the few adaptations that he's actually done. Uh, yep. The last year is the only other one that I can think of, but. Um, oh man, you shouldn't have mentioned that. Yeah, <laughs> but this is based on a graphic novel. Um, yeah, so, Sandcastle, I, mean, I, I think, is the name of it. Yeah, yeah, probably not something that quite has the admiration of uh, of you know Avatar: The Last Airbender, and is going to have so many people you know who are um, rab rabid to see the film and have such high expectations for it. So maybe for the best. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair assessment of the situation overall. Uh, great. All right, my number three. Switching up a little bit, we talked about Bradley Cooper and what he was doing next from next from an acting perspective uh, after A Star is Born, although I think he technically had already done The Mule, so it's not like it was his follow-up, but uh, sort of a bigger project for him post A Star is Born. Uh, going to the other side of that A Star is Born corn coin is Lady Gaga and what she will be doing next after her, you know, awards hyped, if not ultimate awards nomination. Did she get a nomination? Did she get an Oscar nomination for that? For, yeah, for playing Allie in A Star is Born. So yeah, fo her follow-up to her Oscar-nominated performance uh, in House of Gucci, which is a biographical crime film from director Ridley Scott. So this is what Lady Gaga is doing next. She's playing Patrizia Reggiani, um, who is the significant other wife of Maurizio Gucci, who is being played by Adam Driver. Uh, I mean, he had an absolute knockout 2019. Maybe, I'd argue, maybe even one of, one of the best years for any actor um, over the last decade or, or so, just absolutely outstanding performances in several different movies. Um, and yeah, so the supporting cast includes Jared Leto, Al Pacino, Jeremy Irons, uh, big cast for this one uh, for a Ridley Scott film. Uh, this is sort of a universal movie, just to throw it out there. Uh, universal has the international rights to this one, but uh, it's coming out, I think, in the holiday time. And I think there was just the first like set photo was released, I think, the other day of Adam Driver and Lady Gaga on set and looked like uh, appropriately uh, themed um, sort of period type piece overall for not, not super history period wise, but certainly not quite the present day. And obviously fashion and style is going to be a big part of this film overall. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. It seems really good. There's going to be a crime element to it as well, because this is going to be depicting the events in the aftermath of the murder of Adam Driver's character by his ex-wife. Uh, played by Lady Gaga. So very exciting. Yeah. Thank God that 
freaking Ryan Murphy is not doing this because this feels like coming off of the Versace show that he did a couple of years ago. This feels like it would have been a very similar route for him to go down if he would have uh, made this. But yeah, Ridley Scott, I think, would, is much better hands to leave this movie in. And yeah, interesting sounding story. Not something I know a whole lot about, which, you know, is always, uh, you know, intriguing to me when I can learn something from a movie. Um, recently, it happened with Judas and the Black Messiah, um, which I love. So um, we'll see. Uh, yeah, good, good cast. Jared Leto. Eh. But uh, otherwise, yeah, good, good names. Um, so Savage. But I don't disagree. All right, Scott, what's your number two? Honestly, Jared Leto probably will fit in pretty well in like a movie about like the Gucci family. I mean, it seems like that's that's kind of like very well suited for his aesthetic, probably. But Pablo Gucci. There you go. I mean, well, Jared Leto looks, that name just, looks like that a Pablo. Character name so. just screams Jared Leto, doesn't it? It really does. Um, yeah. All right, Scott. My number two is The Northman, um, and this is the third film from director Robert Eggers, who, of course, you know, is the horror director who has given us uh, The Witch first in 2015 and then The Lighthouse in uh, 2019. Um, and I believe, is he teaming with A24 again on this movie? Or I don't, yeah, I don't think he universal. is, right? <laughs> Yep. Here we go. Uh, well, I'm really just feeding Scott's yeah. ego right now. Um, it's it's focus features, yeah. Yeah, uh, focus features. He's working with focus features. This this will be the first time he has not worked with uh, with A twenty four. But this is going to be a sort of Viking epic, um, which is a strange phrase to say, but you know, Historical also feels thriller. a little bit on brand for uh, for Robert Eggers. You know, just like he has he he has a, a knack for capturing these really like old timey periods, right? He did it with the witch. He captured like uh old colonial new england um he did it with um you know the lighthouse with capturing this really eerie you know like i I don't even know when is the movie supposed to be set like do you even know yeah well he he created his own atmosphere probably probably the 1800s probably the 1800s yeah um but he has a knack for that this movie he's going way back to the 10th century uh set in iceland uh it's going to be kind of a revenge story like i said probably involving you know, Nordic Vikings, things like that. Um, and Scott, you're going to be shocked to know this, but this has a stacked cast. Um, Wait, what? I know, right? We haven't really been talking about any movies that have stacked cast, but uh, yeah. leading this cast got two of my very, very favorite actors. Um, and that those are Ethan Hawke uh, and Anya Taylor-Joy. Anya Taylor-Joy, of course, worked with uh, Robert Eggers on The Witch. That was sort of her breakout move. I mean, you know, but her breakout technically was um you know with the queen's gambit but the movie that introduced the world to any taylor joy was the witch um and you know one of the stars of the lighthouse also going to be in this movie willem dafoe um you know big fan of him obviously nicole kidman someone who i not not quite as much of a, a fan of anymore but you know she back in the day she put in some really great performances i will i will not lie that um, she has done some really, really exceptional work in the past, but uh, I'm, I'm not sure about. Well, she's uh, Ethan Hawke's queen in this movie. Oh, okay. Well, that's an interesting match. But uh, Alexander Skarsgård will most certainly be playing someone incredibly smarmy and unlikable uh, because that's really the only thing that he does anymore. And probably and probably um, hits and probably hits Nicole Kidman in the movie. But that's just yeah, just a hunch. Pro- Although probably. I will say smarmy. That aside, I just watched Little Drummer Girl, which Alexander Skarsgård is one of the leads okay. in. Okay. Doesn't play a smarmy character in that. Very good show. Um, yeah. Anyway, keep going. 
Yeah. Also, speaking of witch reunions, uh, Ralph Innocent and Kate Dickey, who played the uh, mother and father in The Witch, are going to be back in this as well. So, uh, and Bjork. Bjork is going to be playing some sort of a witch, which just like, I mean, that could not be yeah. more perfect casting, probably, ultimately. But And uh, Dracula's yeah. Kleist Bang. Yeah. Uh, needless to say, Scott, I'm very excited for this. I still haven't actually seen The Lighthouse. Um, I'm not sure if it's quite for me. Um, yeah, but no, I, you, you'd probably be into it, honestly. Yeah, maybe. I love The Witch. I absolutely love The Witch. I think Robert Eggers, again, him and Ari Aster, right, are, are doing something so great in terms of, you know, making yeah. these out there original horror movies that actually have things on their mind. Um, I think, you know, those are the two guys who are really beating the drum for what people call elevated horror nowadays, like these sort of art, artsy horror that, you know, has led to some movies that are, you know, are among my favorites of the last 10 years or so. And The Northman, uh, while maybe not with A24 anymore, uh, I think certainly still has that possibility. He's going to get a bigger budget, cer almost certainly. So um, we'll see what he can do with that. Um, but there is plenty. There are plenty and plenty of reasons to be excited about uh, this movie. Don't have a date for it yet, but I will hotly anticipate it whenever it does come out. It has been filmed, so. Yeah, they finished filming a couple months ago. I think at the end of last year, and so it's just a matter of post production and finding a, a place for it on the on the on the theatrical schedule. I'd be surprised if they didn't try to push this out just to try to get it in the conversation for some awards because Jaron Blaschke, who uh, did the cinematography for the lighthouse is returning to the cinematography here. Knowing these two between him and Eggers, they're going to do something psychotic um, with their aspect ratio um, and their production design. So they'll probably do something cool, cool with that. Um, I think that was just the narrowest production. That, that was like the narrowest screen I've ever watched a movie on for, the lighthouse the aspect ratio was like something out of like the 20s or some long long time ago um something out of Je zach snyder's justice league no because that at least <laughs> is, is like the standard imax format like that's still a format you see today yeah i i was doing so i was looking after i watched the lighthouse which was not a film for me ultimately i thought it was very full of itself um i i looked at i did some research and, and it is like uh, all jokes aside though around like the movie not being for me like super interesting production value going on there like uh, even i would say it's, some of the most fascinating parts of it is just what they were able to do uh, they, but they built their own freaking lighthouse for the movie i mean <laughs> that's that's the kind of level we're going to here yeah. and um that's pretty interesting stuff i will say that i don't i don't think anything around this film score has been talked about or announced anywhere because i'm not seeing it but if they don't get hilder goodnatotter to do the score for this like they're missing out probably <laughs> i mean <laughs> it's should. the obvious choice for sure <laughs> yeah i mean that or ludwig Gorenson, but um probably hilder yeah i don't know if go, go, i don't know if uh um, Ludwig Gorenson's vibe for the scores he's typically done quite matches Robert Eggers. Maybe at this point I, I'd back him to do just about anything. But oh sure, yeah, but I just don't that. think that'd be the first person that came to mind for probably Robert Eggers uh, overall. But yeah, like I'm, I'm definitely not as excited about this film just because I mean I haven't seen The Witch, which I imagine I'd probably like a little bit more than The Lighthouse, but I definitely was not um, a huge fan of The Lighthouse overall. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I'm optimistic that I'll like this more than I like. Because I feel like I should like his movies, but we'll see. We'll yeah. see. We'll see. All right, Scott, I'm going to get into the what some people thinking about you in particular here might be like a boring pick um, for anticipated film. But when I see this on the list of movies that are supposed to come out this year, I can't not pick uh, a Tom Cruise movie. Um, I'm not doing Top Gun Maverick because I have no particular affection for the original Top Gun film besides its leading man being Tom Cruise. But uh, TC Legend is doing Mission Impossible 7 scheduled to come out later this year. And Scott, I mean, I, it really has been the case of the last three or four Mission Impossible movies 
you know, each of them getting better and better and better and better for me. I know that, you know, your, your favorite is still Rogue Nation. Mine's Fallout. But the point is that the last four Mission Impossible movies have been I mean, absolute knockouts in my book. The last two are the best. I mean, for me. Easily. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm totally on board with you there. Um, and then, but like three and Ghost Protocol as well are films that it just felt like they haven't really gone wrong, really, you know, hardly put a foot wrong at all. And the fact that this film is still at this time, at least scheduled to come out this year is hugely exciting for me. Tom Cruise reprising his role as Ethan Hunt, Ving Rain, Simon Pegg, uh, all returning as part of the MIF crew. Ilsa Faust, Rebecca Ferguson uh, coming back for this as well. Vanessa Kirby uh, re- reprising her role as the White Widow, whose name is Alana Mitsopoulos, who I did not catch this until the most I rewatched all the Mission Impossible movies last year. She's technically the daughter of Max from the first Mission Impossible movie, who's what like a basically a you know black market crime. Um, Vanessa Redgrave, I think, played Max, right? Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah, but My she she's right. this person who I mean I had completely forgotten about, and then watching them all right next to each other, you sort of pick up on. You, you, I did pick up on it. Um, Speaking of reprising, uh, I guess I shouldn't say reprising roles because Vanessa Redgrave, I, I don't believe, is reprising her role in this. If she's even still alive, I don't even know. If I was about alive. to say she could be dead. I'm not yeah, sure. she very well could be dead. It's un- unclear. But Henry Cerny is reprising his role as Eugene Kittredge, uh, Kittredge from the first Mission Impossible movie. He was the director after John Voight's character you know, dies. Uh, I'll put that in quotation marks uh, from the first film. Angela Bassett also reprising her role. Isai Morales replacing... This is the only thing that was a little bit of a bummer. Isai Morales replacing Nicholas Holt as the villain in this movie. I'm sure Isai Morales will be fine. I've never seen it. I don't think I've seen anything that he's done, to be honest. Uh, but I was really excited for Nicholas Holt to be in this. But I think maybe too much of a commitment for two... Because I assume that it's going to be a two... It's a two-movie commitment, probably, with this. And maybe that was a little bit too yeah. much for his Apologies to, uh, uh, to Vanessa Redgrave, by the way. She is very much alive. <laughs> All right, great. Alive um, and kicking. Yeah, glad to hear it. Um, I don't know if she died in Mission Impossible 1. I don't remember at this point. But if she didn't, maybe she'll make her, she'll reprise her role, maybe. I don't know. Uh, who knows? But apparently, uh, Haley, Haley Atwell, Palm Clementif, Shea Wiggum, um, Indira Varma, Mark Gaddis, Carrie Elwes all like have like minor supporting roles in this. I'm not going to sit here and say this is like as good of a cast as some of the other movies we've talked about, but uh, I'm really excited about this film. I don't know what on earth they're going to do to you know, be the climax of Mission Impossible 7, although we've definitely heard some rumors about some of the stunts they were trying to pull off um, in their various sets, thanks to Tom Cruise's audio tapes, absolutely F-blasting uh, <laughs> the entire crew for their COVID-19 regulations. Um, but look, I'm when you say Mission Impossible and Tom Cruise is coming back to do another one, I mean, let him do, let him do some new psychotic thing uh, before he eventually dies in space in whatever movie he does with Doug Lyman. Yeah, uh, I mean, of course I'm excited for this, Scott. This is my absolute favorite franchise running. Um, I don't think there's a bad movie. Even number two is fine to me. Um, I rewatched it last year. It didn't hold up for me, but I'd be curious what you thought if you rewatched it. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to say that everything about it holds up, but it it probably has some enjoyable, um, you know, sequences from my memory. Yeah, the only question I think is just how do they keep upping the ante, right? And as, as great of a job as Chris McQuarrie has done with, you know, five and six, like I said, they're my two favorites. I almost wish that they would have gone with a different director maybe for these next yeah. couple, just because that's one of the charms I think about the Mission Impossible franchise is that all of the different directors bring something, bring their own stamp, right? You know, going back to the first movie, Brian De Palma, 
bringing, you know, a that spy thriller, right? Noir. Like the Hitchcockian, like, yeah. you know, pastiche that he was known for making. Um, John Woo bring the Hong Kong action. J.J. Abrams with this, like, techno thriller that really sort of brought uh, Mission Impossible into the, you know, modern era. Where um, is the rabbit's foot? Yeah, there's so much about that movie. Like, you know, if you read into it, like, about how Mission Impossible, like, it, they had to kill just a, to get a, a third one made oh, yeah. because the second one just didn't do that well. Again, it wasn't well received. Like, the franchise is kind of dead in the water, and J.J. Abrams just, like, you know, revived it. Brad Bird, right, like, his visual um, adventurousness um, that I think he really brought to um, to yeah. Ghost Protocol. And then McCory, you know, just sort of distilling a lot of these elements into a big, satisfying action package. So... Like I said, as much as I have loved what McCory did, um, the only question mark for me is like, how does he get better, right? How does he continue to uh, find ways to captivate us with the same style that he has used in the last couple of movies? But of course, I'm excited. I love Tom. I mean, Tom Cruise is my favorite actor. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I just I, I hope that they are still able to with all of these new people introducing. I hope that they're still able to keep that team dynamic, which I feel like has really been the heart of the last couple of movies. That like central team with you know with Benji, with Luther, with uh, Ilsa Faust, obviously, who I just think I absolutely love that character and Re Rebecca Ferguson's performance. Um, you know, maybe Vanessa Kirby. I'm not sure is she going to sort of come into the fold as more of a hero here. It's, you know, her character was sort of walking the line a little bit in Fallout. So um, that will be interesting to see. But I hope that they are able to keep the band together and keep, you know, the emphasis on, you know, the fun that those characters have when they are interacting together. Because I think that has, over time, has developed as being one of the strongest elements of the Mission Impossible franchise. Yeah, and the, I think one of the pluses of of no of you know Christopher McQuarrie returning to direct this and as well as its you know direct sequel, which is being filmed simultaneously, I believe, unless unless that changed recently, I think that is it is being filmed simultaneously uh, with this one. I think one of the pluses is that McQuarrie knows what has worked in five and six, and as much as he has to escalate things to try to continue to you know raise the bar of you know visuals and stunts and whatnot, he like he knows that breaking that team up would be a bad move. Right. So I'd be, I'd be really surprised if he doesn't stick with what's what's worked so far and just continue to try to up the ante as you were talking about. Yeah, um, it would just be really shocking to me if, if that if that wasn't the case. But it does make you wonder what these sort of two films being fil being filmed simultaneously, even though Fallout was a direct sequel as well to Rogue Nation. It didn't have that same feel and direct and direct kind of simultaneously simultaneous filming of it. It makes you wonder if seven and eight is really going to sort of be the time where they send off Tom Cruise, at least Tom Cruise's and Christopher McQuarrie's and this whole, like, I don't know, this squad of people almost. I don't know if Mission Impossible will continue. It doesn't really feel like it's a franchise that should continue without Tom Cruise, in my opinion. Um, yeah. Maybe maybe I sound like a dinosaur saying that. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, it would feel really weird to not to not have him, to not have Ethan Hunt's, you know, Tom Cruise's Ethan Hunt um, if it did move forward. But it feels like this might be some sort of climactic finish uh, in the next two years. Know. But we'll see. I mean, look, that I think Tom Cruise is gonna is gonna die doing stunts in his movies. Yeah. Um. So <laughs> we won't get any more Mission Impossible movies when Tom Cruise is dead. <laughs> like that's 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 sort of like the bottom line of it. I feel yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm excited about that. We're both excited about that. Um. But let's hear what you are most excited about in 2021. Yeah. I mean, here's my boring choice, I guess, Scott. Uh. Maybe maybe boring to you, but this is still an out there choices. film, I think, overall. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, boring. Like uh, this is what everyone would expect me to pick, right? It is the new film yeah. from Richard Linklater, uh, Apollo Ten and a Half, 
a space age adventure. Um, we talked a little bit about this movie when it was first announced, Scott. Um, this is going to be a Netflix uh, film. This is going to be his first time working with Netflix. Um, um, you know, again, this is the boring pick for me because Richard Linklater, my absolute favorite director. Um, and this is a coming of age story, right? This is what Richard Linklater does best. He has created many of the greatest coming of age films of all time. Boyhood, Dazed and Confused, uh, Everybody Wants Some, um, uh, you know, even School of Rock. Uh, and, you know, I, I, so I think that, that this is the type of movie that he does, you know, arguably the best. Um, and this is going to use also his talent with rotoscope animation, um, which he, you know, of course, used in both The Scanner Darkly and Waking Life. Um, this film is going to be in rotoscope animation, which is just, I think, a really creative um, way to make a film. Not many. It's directors. not the whole movie, though, right? It's just part of it, isn't? Because it's the live. Is that film, is that right? true? Okay. Um, that was I my know, understanding. I, kinda, I could be I wrong. I kind of thought the whole thing, the whole thing, was going to be in rotoscope, but you may be right. Um, I, you know, I I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but as the title suggests, you know, this is set around uh, the moon landing, um, particularly, you know, the summer surrounding the moon landing um, is going to be sort of this event it seems that is going on simultaneously or maybe looming uh, in the midst of this coming of age story, right? About, um, I think, a, well, I was going to say about a young boy, but I don't know that we know that for sure. Maybe about, probably about a lot of characters. I mean, I think it's about, yeah, yeah. it's about the, well, when I was reading up on it, it's about the, the fantasies of earth's children. It was something really weird. Like, yeah, there's a lot of, BS. there's a lot of <laughs> child actors attached to this. If, uh, yeah. if you look further down the cap, cast list look nobody knows high concept bs like the guy who does who did waking life so um sure. yeah no I, I think uh you know obviously I, i'm still very excited for this and I, I mean he balances large ensembles as well as anyone he also balances small ensembles right he balances you know the two character piece of the before trilogy like yeah. you know incredibly well but um Absolutely. yeah so uh, you know set in texas right where he's from where most of his movies are set he knows it very well and starring, um, you know, three, the sort of, there are three sort of name actors here. Um, two of which he's worked with before those being Glenn Powell, who he worked with and everybody wants some and Jack Black, who he worked with in Bernie and uh, school of rock. And Zachary Levi is the third name in the cast who he's not worked with before. Um, but obviously again, is kind of having a, a little bit of an up and coming period. I mean, he's, he's older, but he's kind of having a little bit of a, I don't know if it's right to say comeback, right? Like, I don't know if Chuck was big enough to where he was like a star when he was on Chuck or anything like that. But, um, you know, he's hitting his stride now with stuff like Shazam, obviously, you know, he had a significant like role you, in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel a couple seasons ago. What you um, have to say is that he's made the conversion from TV actor to, movie, to, yes, to film actor. Yes. So. Um, and he's proven he could be a leading man in something like Shazam, even though I'm not the biggest fan of that film. Um, but... Yeah, those are your three stars. You got Richard Linklater. Um, you know, his last film, definitely one of my least favorites from his oeuvre with Where'd You Go, Bernadette? Um, so I'm glad to see that he is sort of getting back to his strengths um, because he hasn't made a, you know, a coming-of-age movie since um, everybody wants him. So um, I think this has the potential to be something really, really special, as any time Linklater makes a movie. Um is but in particular again with the setup and with the people that he's got attached to this and with you know the medium that he's tinkering with here um i couldn't be more excited for this yeah scott if not for you on the podcast this movie wouldn't even register for me i'll be completely honest um but we watched the first two of the before trilogy 
I was huge fans of those films. We still yeah. haven't watched Midnight. I forgot about. No, we gotta wait nine years. We gotta wait nine years. Yeah, um, of course. You know, you you got me to watch Boyhood. You got me to watch Everybody Wants Some. These are all films that I really, really enjoyed. Where'd you go, Bernadette? We were both pretty soft uh, on it overall. Um, it was it had its charm, but it didn't play out. It didn't work out as a movie overall, unfortunately. Um, but look, this is back where he's you know you know on his own shit basically. Here he's yeah. not he's not adapting a novel. Um, that was on the New York Times bestselling list. Um, he's very much doing stuff that, you know, is coming from his own brain, is really inspired by his own childhood, which I think we've seen is, you know, creates some of his best work. Um, right, yeah, I, he does have a little bit of like the one for you, one for me, or two for you. He's sure. kind of done two for you now, right, with Last Flag Flying, which was definitely more of a studio movie as well in 2017. Sure. And then Where'd You Go Bernadette, certainly uh, as well. Um, but, you know, again, before that, he had everybody want some. And now it seems like he's kind of returning to that familiar ground. Yeah, absolutely. And it's coming. I mean, he that that was shot before the pandemic even started, I think. So it's yeah. like been done and he's been editing it for the past year plus. And so I'd imagine this is probably maybe one of the summer releases. Maybe they try to line it up with with the time into the moon landing or something like that. I don't know. There definitely hasn't been an official release date announced, but it is coming this year, probably. And by probably, I mean, definitely. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't. I, I guess you know he's been working on this movie for a while. Of course, we also know that he's been working on another movie uh, for a while, and will be continue continuing to work on it for quite a while. That being merrily we roll along, which is yeah. filming over twenty years. So again, it's nice to see <laughs> your calendar. Uh, <laughs> obviously, he did it with Boyhood right over twelve years. It's nice to see that. Oh, he's also still going to be putting out some movies in this time period. We're not going to have to like wait twenty years. Uh, because, you know, they're probably... I don't, I don't think that was a legitimate concern, here. though, right? Like, no one thought that he was just going to chill. Well, yeah, no, but, I mean, you know, in concept, like, you, you sure. could think that, I guess. But, you know, they're only filming a few minutes each year, probably. So. Yeah, I mean, that you're going to get, like, a six-hour <laughs> epic if they're filming more yeah, than a few yeah, minutes over 20 every years, year. yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right. Um, my number one, call it a boring pick. I will say I wasn't even going to include this movie on my list like maybe it was gonna make my honorable mentions and then i decided like a week ago that i was just gonna read the book i was just gonna read the book and scott i have been absolutely tearing through this thing um completely mesmerized i haven't i won't say that i'm not generally into like science fiction books um because i think that you know a lot of the books that i've read <laughs> recently or you know that i've enjoyed reading for personal reading kind of does fit sort of the sci-fi fantasy type mold but Nothing really prepared me for just like how freaking good uh, Dune, the the Frank Herbert uh, novel is from back in all the way back in 1965. This thing came out and I was already excited about this movie. We talked about we talked about this movie a lot. It was on my list. I think it was on number two behind Tenet last year on my uh, most anticipated films of 2020. And it went sort of from honorable mention territory. You know, it was a movie I talked about last year. No reason to talk about it again to I mean, there's no way I can't put this at the top of my list. There's just. There's just the political it, it really does like kind of combine sort of like the, the the sci-fi elements of things like Star Wars and any sort of like intergalactic type uh, world that you might that you might be a fan of with the sort of political thriller intrigue of more like more you know classic or typical dramas, even I'd say like political dramas, uh, political thrillers. And it combines that in such an interesting way. And it really does feel like one of those movies that, you know, it's not that it hasn't been tried to be made before. I mean, they had at least one movie and one TV show version of it that's tried to have been made before. I haven't done all my research there. There might be even more than that, to be honest. 
and it felt like a nut a nut that you know even some of the best directors david lynch i think one of them hasn't hasn't been able to crack um in terms of its film form but Denny Villeneuve, Although, you know, that that movie does have its defenders, strangely sure. enough. You know, I haven't yeah. seen it. I haven't finished reading the book yet. Um, but that does seem to be like sort of the consensus that I that I have heard in doing totally. in doing yeah. some of my research. And but you know, in the hands of Denny Villeneuve, who I think was the best director in the 2010s in terms of output um, and, and the quality of the films that he was able to put out, including his previous film Blade Runner uh, 2049, which you know, I, I critically this was a very well received movie, but. Did did frankly bomb at the box office overall relative to its budget. Um, the fact that Warner Brothers would come back to him and say, "Here, you know, take take our two hundred million dollars or whatever they used uh, to make this movie and make make us a Dune movie um, with the sort of like soft guarantee that this is a this is a, a franchise that will not you know live only and or tell the whole story in one film. This is going to be a two part film. I don't believe that they filmed the second part already, but at least what Warner Brothers has seen has been promising enough that they have greenlit a prequel miniseries for HBO called the sisterhood of Dune or something like that. I don't remember. Um, but overall, uh, I think that my hype level for this movie has like somehow like gone back up even beyond where it was before reading the book recently. It really is fascinating stuff. Uh, really combining. I just feel like a lot of the things that I find the most interesting about the sci-fi and political thriller uh, genres as well as having its fair bit of action um, and, and visual imagination as well. And in the hands of, you know, Warner Brothers and Denis Villeneuve, who I think has a particular vision for these types of, of effects. And, and then with the acting talent, which I haven't even gotten to yet, but the acting talent of Timothy Chalamet uh, playing the lead role of Paul Atreides, uh, Rebecca Ferguson, who plays his mom, Lady Jessica, Oscar Isaac, who plays his dad, Duke Leto or Leto, I don't know how to pronounce it, Atreides. Uh, Josh Brolin plays one of like the families like, um, sort of like, I guess, like trusted right-hand men. Um, and I think, and I believe Stephen McKinley Henderson also plays uh, a similar character to that, as well as uh, Jason Momoa. These are all three pe- three characters who are sort of like trusted advisors and um, to the Atreides family. But then uh, also uh, in the cast, Stellan Skarsgård sort of plays like the, the, the quote-unquote villain of the film, whose name is Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. Uh, Dave Bautista Zendaya is in this cast. David Desmalkian. Um, uh, a few others. Oh, Javier Bardem is also in this cast. I mean, this is another stack cast added to the list of, of films with stack cast that we've talked about today. Uh, super bummed to have seen it move out of the end of last year. I think we both were uh, when that happened. But frankly, I'm like super excited to be reading this book beforehand. I don't know if that it makes me more excited for the movie, which could be dangerous overall, right? Like when you read read the book, if it isn't going to live up to it, it uh, I think I'm, I'm setting myself up for the kill for sure. I'm going to go ahead and say that. Um, but Honestly, if I had to pick one director, you know, even though Chris Nolan's my favorite director, I would never pick Chris Nolan to adapt this. I would 100% pick Denis Villeneuve. Um, and so I'm super excited to see what he and this creative team uh, can do with it. It's uh, honestly Hans Zimmer doing the score, uh, Greg or Greg Frazier doing the cinematography, I think, who I think has worked with Villeneuve a couple of times. Um, really excited. Yeah, in some ways, this feels like the most anticipated movie because we've been anticipating it for so long, right? <laughs> we've been true. talking about this thing uh, since the very first casting news dropped, which seemed like ages ago. You know, we expected it to come out last year. It didn't come out. We're going to have to wait basically all of this year for it to come out. Um, yeah. uh, finally, I like um, Greg, uh, Greg Fraser has not done anything with Denny Villeneuve before, but he has done Rogue One, um, Lion, mm-hmm. Zero Dark Thirty, and then is also doing Matt Reeves' Batman film. 
Ah, so well, yeah, but I mean, you know, I'm, I'm of course very excited. I mean, my my excitement has not waned over this time period, right? I, sure. I'm still yeah. really looking forward to this. Uh, I'm just very ready to see the thing, right? Because uh, we've been waiting so yeah, long. For sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, it it has so many great pieces um, that you that you've mentioned there, um, and definitely seems like, you know, even though I'm not the biggest sci-fi guy, kind of like you said. Um, Villeneuve has a way of I think, getting to the humanity in these stories. He did it in Blade Runner. He did it in Arrival. Um, and, you know, I, I think I expect him to do the same in Dune, which is very dense from my understanding. Sure. Um, but, you know, breaking it, it has up a lot of the, like theology in it. Honestly, it, it does. Yeah, so far. I mean, yeah. Blade Runner 2049 is pretty dense as well. Um, yep. You know, not based on anything, obviously, but still pretty dense. I, like I said, I think I mean, it is based on it's inspired by the Philip K. Dick. No. Sure, I'm not sure if any uh, if anything in 2049 was based on that, but the original certainly no, was. No, not not directly. Um, no. But yeah, but anyway, he has a way of distilling all of these really comp- complex things down to you know their essence. I think, which um, you know, again, makes him probably a very well suited director for Dune. So bring it on. Yeah, yeah. and uh, going back to one of the first points that I was making, it feels like in this day and age, visual effects have come so far where you can do something of the scale. Um, that this film kind of needs to be done. I mean, so I don't want to get into like too much territory, but like one of the big deals, which you can see in the trailer, right, is these like massive sandworms, right? Like that's one of the biggest parts of it. And like, you just can't like, I know Tremors came out like 30 years ago or whatever. Like you just can't do sandworms the size of the sandworms in this film without it. Like you just can't, you can't do it justice. I don't think you can't immerse, you can't immerse your viewers in, in the reality of it all um, as well as you can these days uh, with the visual effects yeah, so that's me. It, it's just rocketed back up my my hype list. And October 1st, I think that's what they release date. Can't come soon enough. Yeah. All right, Scott. I think that should just about do it for episode 135 of Some Like It. Scott, where can people find you on Twitter? At Scarvyden. You can find me at at shelton2013 over on Twitter. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, please check out our podcast Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. A bunch of different reward tiers over there for you to check out. Uh, it would be great if you could support us. If not, that's okay. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, wherever else you listen to your podcasts, where you should rate and review us, subscribe, share, do everything to help us reach a broader audience. We thank you for that. And we will be back next week with another brand new episode of Something Like It's Scott, where we'll be reviewing Godzilla versus Kong. Previous Kong version. Bells to no man. <laughs> yeah, only, only to the kaiju he bells, I guess. I don't know. We're going to find out who who kneels before the other when that film hits HBO Max and theaters at the same time later this week. We'll talk to you then, though. Thanks for listening. See you down the road. Thank you.